graph analytics has a long history. Uh, and uh, it really what came about because people were trying to understand um, how things are connected and study the relationship between things. And so a lot of times in our world, we, we study the things themselves, but the relationships between them and how that actually um, can impact uh, the future is something we, we don't really look as much into. So Amy, welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here with us today. For our listeners, if you are not aware of Amy's incredible work, currently she's the founder and graph evangelist for Graph Geeks. Previously, she was the senior director at Relational AI, also worked at Fiddler as a responsible AI tech evangelist, and then a senior director of product marketing for graph analytics and data science and AI at Node. Neo4j, excuse me. Um, but in addition to that, she's written many different books as a co-author, as reports. We're going to dive into that, to that today. But I'm excited to chat with you about graph analytics, knowledge graphs, and where the future of this is headed. So can you just explain to our listeners, what is graph analytics and why is that so important in our world today? Thank you, Sadie. It's always a pleasure to uh, to speak, and I appreciate the opportunity uh, to talk further about what's going on in the uh, the graph space. So, graph analytics has a long history, uh, and uh, it really what came about because people were trying to understand um, how things are connected and study the relationship between things. And so, a lot of times in our world, we we study the things themselves but the relationships between them and how that actually um, can impact uh, the future is something we, we don't really look as much into. So graph analytics is really about abstracting the structure of how things are connected. So um, for instance, um, Amy knows Sadie, um, the verb knows is the connection between it or speaks with, and the, um, the entities or the nouns are Sadie and Amy. And so just understanding that connection, and you can imagine with um, the complexity in our world today, you know, between um, people, products, supplies, genomes, we could, you know, healthcare, you know, the, the connections between things are becoming more and more complex. And those connections, those relationships actually have shape and they have meaning. And so using those to kind of understand um, the network and understand what might happen or what might be a good pairing uh, is really important. So if we think about a really simple example of uh, like what movie someone might want to watch, uh, understanding the connections that a human has or that I would have to the movies I've already watched and who acted in it or you know who wrote the script or what book it was uh, based on can help make a recommendation for another book. But it's the same kind of structure um, and connections that can also help us see vulnerabilities that can help logistics, um, you know, uh, supply chain issues and logistics be more efficient. Uh, they even use graphs to understand like the human condition as well and make um, better, you know, drug targeting uh, and better patient care. So it's all over the place and it's all just about understanding the connections between things and studying those uh, with the importance that they, they deserve. So I'm assuming that graph analytics has been around for quite some time or knowledge graphs in general. Typically, we see that with technology, you know, particularly in the world of like machine learning, all of these algorithms were invented quite some time ago. 
But what are the industries we're tending to see them really relevant in today? And who are more of the kind of fast adopters for knowledge graphs? It's it's interesting. It's changed over time. Um, like I said, it's it's got a long, long history. But I would say graph analytics more than just graphs. The you know graphs being the uh, data model that you you use to abstract this information. Uh, that's been around for a long time. But analytics using the um, algorithms to compute over it probably around World War II is actually when it started to become prevalent. And so you first saw, saw it in that time period looking at logistics and um, energy systems as well, like electrical grid systems. But in the modern day, uh, you see graph and graph analytics adopted a lot in um, financial sectors, especially for things like fraud detection. You'll quick Google and you'll, you'll find a ton of examples there. Um, but financial services, banking, uh, insurance. That's an area where you see a lot of uh, early adoption um, for, uh, like I said, anomaly detection, fraud detection. Uh, but you also see it a little bit in, um, or most so in, I would say, healthcare and life sciences. Uh, and I think part of that is because uh, the life sciences um, uh, community and the healthcare community are used to looking at the human body as a holistic system and how they interact it, uh, with it you know, more holistically uh, as well. So I think you see it, you definitely see it there. And then I would also say um, retail and manufacturing, uh, especially for supply chain and logistics, probably more on the supply chain than on recommendations since, uh, uh, since COVID. So that's been an interesting shift to watch. Uh, and then I would say um, technology and telecom uh, is another area where you see it as well for things like vulnerability and threat assessments, uh, as well as um, things like a root cause and route planning. So because knowledge graphs are association based, they seem like they would play really well for a lot of the machine learning and really deep learning algorithms we use today, particularly even with the language models, right? Where a lot of times what it's doing is predicting that next word, which is oftentimes based on an association. Do you see knowledge graphs rising in popularity because of this? And can you talk a little bit more about how they aid in some of these machine learning and, and deep learning algorithms? Yeah, I, I would say um, a couple different areas. Uh, well, first off, the whole Gen AI um, LLM um, explosion uh, has really, I would say, brought more highlight into knowledge graphs. And so um, we're actually seeing um, more people search on the term, um, more people come to you know various different websites uh, that talk about knowledge graphs uh, because of uh, the popularity and people thinking about things more contextually and, and the importance of um, not just an answer, but the right answer for the right time and the right person that happens to be looking at it at that moment. Um, but to, to back up a little bit, if, even from that um, kind of driving a little more attention, which is wonderful. It's great to have the attention on it. Um, that we started to see uh, several years ago, the use of graphs to aid machine learning with really just the simple um, feature engineering. So uh, if you are trying to you know, develop or extract more predictive data from um, predictive elements from the data you already have, a lot of uh, machine learning pipelines would pretty much just toss out um, the relationship-based data, the structural data, and that data has has meaning and it's very predictive um, of future uh, behavior. And so, just even simply uh, using 
I'll call them simple, but and anyhow, but graph algorithms to extract out some information, whether it's a categorization or a score, like PageRank is a probably the most well-known graph algorithm, but just even just extract that out and put it into your machine learning would boost the um, results and improve the accuracy. So we saw that several years ago, and then we started to see people actually doing machine learning inside of a graph itself. Um, not as prevalent as the, the feature extraction because machine learning pipelines already being built out. It'd be more sense to, to augment that. Um, but that's um, been on the rise as well, is how do we actually learn inside of a graph to enhance our graph? So if I have a graph of um, oh, uh, drugs that are used for different diseases, and I want to see new links, do new drug targeting, uh, I'm trying to actually um, improve my graph. I'm trying to add to my graph. And so doing the machine learning inside the graph to predict links, possible targets, uh, and then doing a full cycle may, makes a lot of sense. And so we've seen that um, that on the rise prior to the, the um, explosion of the LLM models. Now with the LLM explosion, we're also seeing graphs used for things like grounding, um, to improve results, kind of acting as almost like a guardrail uh, for uh, for um, rules and what is even possible of um, responses to reduce you know, hallucinations. Uh, I'm really interested to see people go beyond those simple steps and actually start to use graphs to do things like measure quality. So we talk a lot about hallucination when we know a result is totally wrong. Well, what if it's just not great? Uh, and I think we've seen a lot of that in our responses, like not a great response. Well, can we use the context that um, that we're asking the question within uh, to actually try to measure, you know, quality as well? So those are, yeah, it's just, a, it's an exciting space. Yeah, you mentioned it's for a simple feature, which is the feature engineering part of it, although that can be one of the most complex and time consuming portions, right? So while it may not be building the algorithm, or in some cases is, it still, I feel, has a lot of value because it just allows you to get to that, you know, MVP of a model so much faster. So can you share some of your thoughts on just the future of graph analytics and knowledge graphs? Like, where do you see this technology heading and more so integrated in the next, uh, things move fast, so let's say two to five years? <laughs> they do move fast. Um so I think as far as like where graph analytics is heading, and I think we saw this with the, you know, I was, I'm talking about, well, it's very simple to do a graph algorithm and, and graph a feature, but that's probably the biggest, there's a lot of low hanging fruit out there that people can use right away uh, and, and kind of get moving. And I think we haven't picked up the fruit on the ground yet. Uh, and so I think there's in the next couple of years as tools get easier to use. So the technology may be there in general, um, but there's still a uh, there's still a hurdle to come uh, overcome in graphs in graph thinking, in um, uh, using you know explaining descriptive analytics versus a hey um, this is a score or this is a um, you know I am predicting X will happen as opposed to describing you know my environment and so I think there's a there's a hurdle to um, overcome and just in thinking in more networks and systems and and what they can do. And I do think one of the things that I'm really watching carefully is the um, vendors that are trying to um, reduce the um, barrier to entry with graphs. 
uh, and because the thinking's a little different, the data modeling's a little different, the algorithms are a little different. They operate more holistically, and so you have these challenges with these really big data sets. Uh, and so any any of the vendor, there are some really exciting things going on with um, uh, and, uh, LLM and NLP integration with graphs, so that you don't have to actually know what the data model is to do a good query. Uh, and so there's, you know, just kind of reducing that barrier to entry there, uh, but then also just like integrating the data better so that we can integrate closer to relational data and don't have to do potentially a full, you know, remodel of, of the data for, you know, for a simple query. Um, so those are, those, are, I think, just reducing those barriers, integration, um, uh, interface with humans, um, darn humans, uh, that uh, th those are the areas that I think in the next maybe year, maybe not even two years, we're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of innovation there. And then I think the other innovations um, kind of, I would say, are adjacent to other trends. So things like streaming uh, and being able to stream data in, uh, that's not something that all graphs do very well because they're, uh, they can be difficult to update. Uh, so there's a couple vendors out there that are doing some really exciting things in integrating streaming. And I think that's another area. So like, how do we integrate it into our regular workflows uh, as well? So those are some of the areas. There's also some really cool mathy stuff going on as well. Uh, you know, there's, um, you know, uh, HD graph, like uh, higher dimensional graph math stuff that's uh, going on as well. It's kind of exciting to watch. Uh, that's a little farther out. Um, but I think people are looking at this graph format uh, because it's very natural to the way uh, we relate with the world. We we use relationships and connections. Uh, so it's kind of exciting to see things kind of pushing out in that area um, and uh, doing things like looking at how do we do fuzzy abstractions of graphs and things like that. So I know it was a little rambly. Um, do you have, yeah, is there, is there anything in there that, um, that you'd like to talk a little more about? Well, I'm curious about this concept of a relational works in a way that represents more of our real world. And I'd like to take it a step further, maybe even say that it also represents a little bit more accurately how our brain works too, right? Which is one of the pros of our brains, but also one of the cons of our brains too. You know, we tend to use these heuristics that allow us to not use as much energy from our brain. But because of that, we also then develop these biases as well, where maybe one, something happened to us once and we apply it many times over and over to other things. So I'm curious of, you know, these graphs represent the world and more of the relationships in it. Is that what made you fall in love with this space in the first place? Or what was the gateway where you went all in on knowledge graphs? I mean, you've authored almost four different books in this space. So this this is an area that you love. I would I think it's fair to say. Oh, there's a there's a phrase. You know, you 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 fall in love with anything the same way. It's while you're doing something else, and and this kind of comes along. Uh, I think I I fell in love with graphs when I started to look at complex systems, IoT systems, um, which I think there's a lot of future application in that area. That's that's really interesting. Uh, and looking at um, emergent behavior and trying to understand how networks were behaving in a way that they were not programmed to. So uh, it see, it looks like intelligence, um, and some might argue that it is a form of intelligence. Uh, it's a technology, non-human, non-organic intelligence, perhaps. Um, but it's very much the, um, I fell in love when you started, when I started to see these behaviors that weren't programmed 
very much like you would see um, a murmuration of birds um, that, as an individual level, birds are programmed to, you know, to flock and swivel, you know, in these ways, but when they're together, they do. And seeing that in a technology sense and under, and, and then learning that there is mathematics to try to describe that uh, and then to try to kind of understand um, underlying principles from there, it was, that was it, you know, like there's the underlying principles related to relationships that can kind of help us understand bigger behavior that we don't see at individual um, entities. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I fell in love with, with grass. And, uh, and it's, it's, you mentioned, um, so you mentioned something that I'd like to, to, to talk just a little bit more about. Um, you mentioned the human brain and how, you know, graphs represent the way we, we think, which I, I agree. But one of the things that um, I'm excited to see that I haven't, I haven't seen evolve yet with graphs, but I expect to, is the abstract abstraction layers of that. So if you think about like how we think about things, we, we have this amazing ability, humans do, of, to understand and relate things and then abstract at all these different levels. Uh, so we have these high level fuzzy abstractions that allow us to reapply learnings without um, having to do the same thing a thousand times, um, but to realize that it's inexact. So for example, um, I, I burnt my hand as a child on the stove you know, and I, you know, like so many other kids, you know, it, it looked red and I put my hand on and it was very painful. Never did that again. Didn't need to do it twice, but as opposed to going over to my neighbor's house and seeing a stove and going, what's, what's this stove going to do? I don't have, it's not an exact map matching. It's a fuzzy abstracted matching. And so I think it graphs do a really great job um, from a data standpoint of giving us great exact matches. And what I'm really excited about is some of um, uh, some of the looks at these fuzzy matches and these abstractions at different layers so that we can uh, apply graph models more generally, um, but still be able to dig down into these specifics, just like a human can do. Like I remember the stove incident, like I will never forget that. And I can, I can understand it at an abstract level, but I can mentally drill down to the specific event if I need to. Uh, and so those are the, I, I feel like we are um, on the cusp of, of kind of moving into that in the graph land as well as, you know, abstracting at these different levels, but not losing exactness, you know, if we, uh, if we need to, to drill down. Uh, so anyway, I, thank you for reminding me of that example. I, no, and you make such a great point in regards to how the human brain works. Yes, we have, it is a logical system. I mean, it's technically it's chemical and electrical, right? But we have all these orders of processing that I think is really something that makes it quite magical, let alone when you add this element of emotion, which for us is really what creates this deep encoding, right? Of uh, an emotion of fear or sadness or happiness and joy. I tend to think that the fear and the sadness one gets prioritized in our memories a little bit better where we tend to remember the bad bad moments a little bit more um, but it'll be interesting to see what concepts we come up with in the data and AI space to add in that encoding because it is so important just as you mentioned of this higher order of process and this abstraction to be able to make those associations well it may not look exactly like the same stove from 
your house to your neighbor's house, but there's enough there, right, of that fuzzy matching to make it possible. So exciting things happening in this space. Uh, do you have any more books coming out or what's going on with all with all the books? <laughs> so so I love I love to write uh, and I, I, I probably love to research as much as I like to write. So, uh, so I am um, working on another book. Uh, it's uh, going to take a little bit of time, as they all do. Uh, but uh, we're hoping my co-author co and I are hoping to um, complete this year. So it is. Uh, we have a working title that will probably change. So I'll, I'll go ahead and tell your listeners, but don't hold me to this. Um, but at the at the moment, we're we're talking about like patterns of power. And it's, it's basically how to use the patterns of relationships to understand, see, and make changes in our lives, in um, geopolitical spaces, uh, in you know, networks and social in general, uh, so that we can kind of understand how do power dynamics play out? Uh, what are the different types of power dynamics that we can see using data? Uh, and that we can see using, this won't surprise anybody, graph algorithms, uh, in particular, a lot of centrality in this book. Uh, and then what can we do if we understand and see these patterns of power? What can we do to change outcomes for the better? Uh, so that's something that I'm uh, very passionate about right now is, you know, being members of a community, but then also how do you use that influence and influence is a form of power um, to actually have better outcomes uh, and, and not just... Um, not just in my my mind, not just hope for better outcomes, but they're you know what, how can we actually take action, especially as data professionals? Yeah, somewhat a relevant concept at this time in where we're at in humanity, when so much does work from a social network standpoint, and I would say even more so because now so much of social networks are online, which means that communication and influence and power can move much faster and be changed from one person to another person. And so I'm really excited for this book because I think there couldn't be a lot of positive outcomes to how do you identify those central points and use it for positive good, right? To make that positive change you want to see in the world. So I personally love the title. I hope it sticks, you know, I don't know. When you work with publishers, you never know if they're going to stick with the title or not, but I, I love the title and I'm looking forward to this book. So tell me a little bit more about Graph Geeks. This is a new community you recently founded. What was the motivation for starting this community? Uh, that's interesting that you, you asked me um, about the motivation. I was lonely. I, I left. So um, I love graphs and I love talking to people who also like graphs. And, you know, whether it's research or, you know, a new... Um, Podcasts. It's really exciting to mention them, and or talked about it in a way that you've never thought of it. Um, and, and there's just a lot of variety to um, network science and graphs and how people are using them out there. And I had left um, work, uh, regular day to nine to five work, so to speak, um, to work on the book. And uh, the, last year, and what I noticed is I very quickly kind of lost my day-to-day -day conversations with, you know, my workmates, which are often become, you know, my close friends as well. And I just was, I was missing the, the graphy chatter. I was missing, you know, being around people who had really silly um, centrality jokes, you know, the two nodes walk into a bar, you know, the, those kind of like, the, and they, 
those of us out there really, we do do that sort of thing. That there's just all these just fun, silly things. And I just, I really miss that. And I thought, well, I really want to focus on the book. I don't want to, you know, but, but this is a big part of my life that's that there, there's now, um, uh, now not fulfilled. And uh, so I started thinking about, well, what would it look like to try to fill that, um, that need that I had? And do other people feel like that as well? Do other people kind of want that kind of community? And so talking to a, a couple of people and also talking to a lot of people in my network, which I was still talking to, but we worked together in one spot. So it was a lot of like pairwise conversations. And I'm like, well, how do I get to group together the water cooler kind of effect? And, uh, and what I realized is that um, there's a lot of uh, communities out there that are vendor specific uh, or academic specific, um, a certain, even a certain type of research in graphs, you know, very siloed. It's really kind of interesting to think about the graph people being siloed. Um, but what I found is that academics were, you know, in different areas and different universities and vendors were in different areas. And then you have... Uh, you know, just these, you know, communities of, you know, people who only do visualization on graphs. And, and so there's a lot out there, but they weren't, you know, getting together and, um, you know, kind of uh, sharing um, ideas and research. And uh, I, like I said, I miss the graph community very, very much when I um, wasn't at a vendor anymore. And then I realized that they're still out there. It's just, dude, I want to pick one and become siloed or try to bring more of the group um, together. So that, that was my um, initial motivation. And, uh, you know, then uh, talking to people who are interested, you know, the idea of a, a vendor neutral vendor participation. Um, so we have vendors on the community, uh, but a very vendor neutral in, uh, you know, the conversations and uh, the fact that, you know, it's open to anybody. I can very much relate to your loneliness because that was a big inspiration of women in data as well. You know, I just... I gave a talk and I was like, sometimes just create something for you originally. It's totally okay. And, and particularly communities, when you're getting started, it's nice to have that personal motivation. And then what's great is you find other people are wanting that same thing and come together and create something really impactful. So what are the types of things you guys are focused on as a community today? And where do you hope the future of Graph Geeks goes? So today, so we, we just started it uh, October of last year. And I'd, I'm not sure how, it, I, I will say I started with a single one-page website, which I still have, uh, graphgeeks.org. And, uh, and it just kind of had a landing page and started talking to people. And it was December um, in which we launched the Discord channel, uh, which you, people can get to through, well, either on Discord or, or through the website. And that's when things really started um, to happen is that we had uh, we had people kind of join Discord, which is natural for conversations. And that's when the conversations happened. Uh, and we're focused right now on um, two things, and it'll probably change in three months. Who knows? Uh, but we're focused on um, just being helpful and answering questions and trying to encourage conversations. Because that was you know the, the leading motivation is how do we get people to... Um, have conversations, ask for help, ask for opinions of, uh, you know, look at the dissertation that they might be working on or, you know, a blog they might be looking, working on and try to get some support with the community. So that's that's the first thing is conversations and, and support in, you know, finding information and testing out ideas. And the other thing is um, we've started to do uh, once a month um, uh, 
uh, I don't know if I want to call them a webinar. Let's call it like we're, we're calling it Graph Geek Talks, uh, where we'll have a talk once a month uh, on any graphy topic. I'm sure at some point we'll have to be more organized, but at the moment it's like any, you know, any graphy topic that the team or the group seems to be interested in, you know, we'll, we'll do that as a way to kind of have those conversations and also just share, share new ideas as well and uh, new research. So that's it. That's the focus right now. Um, again, I think by the end of the year, we'll probably have um, more resources and maybe do more training and things like that. But at the moment, it's like, let's just find a place for, you know, people to get together and decide, you know, what they want the community to be. Because that's the other thing that, um, you know, and I've talked a little to you about this as well, is that um, I, I may have started off with, you know, my interests, but I, I also, um, and my need for a community, but I also want to let the community figure out what's important to them and what direction um, that uh, the people who are participating the most actually want to take it. And I'm not really sure where that will end up, but I'm kind of, kind of excited to see how that goes. Yes, that's one of the, I think, most beautiful things about community is the community builds your roadmap, and this happened very naturally for women in data. You know, we started with a local chapter and monthly meetings, and through those monthly meetings and conversation, you hear what the community wants and needs. So every year, it was just always like a no-brainer, like, okay, this is what we're going to focus on, and this is what we do next. And it still happens to this date. We do an annual now membership survey, and last year, a member gave us an idea of having like a buddy system. And so we launched it just a month ago and it's been already like one of our most well-received programs. And so I think that's so such a beautiful fact about community is you get to listen and people are invested and it's everyone who's a part of it that makes it what it is. So I love the approach you're taking and it sounds like it's a great place for individuals if you're already working with these tools that you can come in and chat with others. But also if you're new to the field, this is a great place to come in and get your questions answered, which is just fantastic. I'm probably the most excited um, when I see uh, uh, students join. So there's, you know, we're, we're having some universities. I would like more, by the way. Uh, but we're having some university students that, that join. Maybe they're taking a, a comp sci class or a mathematics class, and somehow they trip over finding out about Graph Geeks and, and they join. Uh, I'm very excited. Uh, sometimes they're very hesitant to ask questions, uh, trying to encourage them to do that, but to to uh, have them come in and you know get have a good experience, and then having some people who've been in the graph space for a long time as well, be able to actually do a little mentoring and, and you know, kind of point people in different directions. I, I just feel like it has such a big impact uh, that, you know, that it's just exciting to see people who are very new to the space come in and, and get value out of it. And I have a quick question for you, Sadie. So um, you mentioned uh, growing the women in data community. Uh, you, you have thousands of members now um, worldwide. Uh, can, can you, you know, how... Um, I guess any bit of advice, uh, you know, for, for me is, is, uh, you know, I, you know, start to go down this path of, you know, maybe ways to maintain sanity or things not to do, uh, would be, would be really helpful. Yeah. I mean, it, you're already doing all the right things. And the number one thing that I tell everyone is, is really just consistency, you know, particularly in community, we want people to show up. We want the community to show up. And what I, 
tell myself, I remind myself and I tell also our other chapter leads is if you want people to show up, you have to be consistent in showing up, right? So simple things of like having a monthly meeting is so helpful. People know like, hey, I missed it this month, but I can catch next month because they always have it, right? And so that consistency over time really compounds. Um, Partnerships are really key and branching out into other groups, right? I mean, the world is so noisy to get your name and your brand out there and finding the people who need it is always tricky. So finding other communities to partner with is always key. And then, you know, most importantly, I would say is that listening to the community factor. I mean, we're nine years into women in data, we're still listening and learning from our community, right? And I have like a very recent example with our buddy program that it works, right? Like the community never fails. And so when you really keep showing up, you keep that consistency and you keep just listening to the community and trying new things, it will grow over time. So um, yeah, it's Next year, we'll be celebrating our 10-year anniversary, which I'm really excited for, which just like blows my mind away that it's it's been this long. But it also just goes to show what amazing things can happen when you stay consistent. And just, I look at it as I just create the flower bed. Everybody comes in and, and adds, you know, a little bit to it and it grows, you know, just create that environment where individuals can come in and share and grow together. Well, thank you for being such a wonderful and positive example, you know, for, you know, a community that can be a, uh, a pleasant, good, supportive place for people to, to join and have a, have a, have a positive experience. Um, so I've had such a positive experience with, uh, women in data and, and it's interesting, you mentioned the branch out to different organizations. So sometimes I'm a little shy about that because I like my own little group, uh, but that, that's a, a really good encouragement to uh, to get out there. And, and, and I think this is also part of it of, you know, you inviting, you know, and me to tell a little bit of my story and, of course, the Graph Geek story. So um, thank you on both counts. Yes, and I'd encourage everybody to go check out graphgeeks.org. Uh, you can never, one, be a part of too many communities, but Amy is a wonderful individual, and a lot does stem from you know, the founders kind of vision and environment that they set. So I have no doubt that this is a community that's going to be a welcoming and supportive place for everyone. And most importantly, a place individuals can thrive and we can all grow together in this space. So thank you for starting this. And I, I can't wait to talk to you in 10 years and say, hey, where's Graph Geeks now? Hope, uh, you know, we'll talk in between then, but, you know, in, in a 10 year time frame too. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Amy, well, where's the best place for people to find your work, um, whether the books? I know we mentioned graphgeeks.org, but what if they want to connect with you individually? Well, they can find me at graphgeeks.org. So there's some contact information. That's probably the easiest. I always feel like that's the easiest place to remember because the, you know, the, the words are... The name is easy to spell, which was also an incentive for picking the name, (laughs) easy to spell. Um, But I'm also pretty um, easy to find on uh, LinkedIn as well. So they can they can find my work and and history there. And uh, I will um, I haven't yet, which now reminds me something else I need to do is I will put a a little more profile information on GraphGeek. So if people want to talk to me directly, uh, that they can do that. And of course, I am on our Discord, so they can always reach me there as well. 
another good reason to join the community is you can easily get in touch with Amy as well. So, well, Amy, thank you again for coming on the show. This has been a fantastic interview. And to all our listeners, a big thank you. Remember to stay curious and keep learning. And we will catch you next time on the Data Bytes podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Data Bytes podcast. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.